what is up everybody it is Lo, your host and drew and uncle al uh brando is having some internet difficulties tonight so he may pop back in um we are unsure at this moment however we are going to keep the show rolling as usual and talk about a lot of things we have a lot going on this week guys yeah, absolutely. Even though it was a bye week and the balls weren't playing, still a lot of, you know, a lot of crazy stuff to happen, as always, in college football, some big-time upsets. And I think, honestly, I never thought I would say this, but I think we might be the third-best team in the SEC. I really do believe that. So I never thought I would say that after uh, after week four, but uh, I think that kind of validated it for a lot of us after seeing some of how the outcomes came last Saturday, so. Hey, I, I can't lie. I kind of detached last weekend. It was good to sit back and rest for a minute. Um, we did have a crazy four weeks, definitely with the way that the Florida game decided to end. Um, but, no, it was, it was definitely good to rest a little bit. I know that we came out a little bit banged up, too, following that that uh, week four game against Florida. So it's good that our players are hopefully getting rested up because we got a big one on Saturday. Yeah, so I guess we'll start with a quick little recap. Uh, the one that stood out for me by far the most, I mean, I was literally at the rooftop bar, which is so not a sports bar. And I was just glued to the television, Georgia and Missouri. What in the absolute fuck was that? <laughs> Georgia has went on a steady decline since the start of the season. Do y'all think that was a fluke or do you think that they really are Kind of, I mean, also, there is a couple of their players fighting on the sidelines, and it's showing me there's a little bit of drama going on. Uh, what do you all think about that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think they took the game lightly, and I mean, and deservedly so, because Missouri's not a very good football team in the slightest. And so when you have a lot of this hype about being, you know, the number one team in the country, plus on top of that being a 29.5-point favorite on the road, like, you're not going to take this game as seriously as you would if you were playing against Tennessee or even if you were playing against Florida or Auburn. Um, one thing that really surprised me was that, you know, Stetson Bennett, even though he threw for 312 yards, he didn't throw a single touchdown, you know. And they turned over the ball twice. So, I think it's just a lack of, you know, one like lack of focus. And, I mean, they proved it in the fourth quarter, scoring 14 points at the very end of, you know, securing that win. Uh, you know, they could, you know, that they there was never a doubt, but they definitely did not, you know, fully prepare for this game like they would if it was like they did with South Carolina. And I think they kind of took it lightly. So I still wouldn't, you know, hesitate about St. George is not the second best team in the country. I still truly believe that they are. And in my opinion, that's going to be the hardest game of the year for us. But uh, yeah, that was uh, that was shocking. I, I feel like an absolute moron for a pick of them at 29 half. So. Hey, but I mean, honestly, that looked like a, a safe bet following the game that Missouri and Auburn played the week before, which right. I know that Kirby Smart and them was watching because they both had, I think they both had 14 by halftime and they didn't score again until Auburn hit the game with a kick and OT. Mm -hmm. So when you're Georgia, you're sitting there like, all right, we got another week off, we'll be fine. But then, like you said, I mean, when you're the number one team in the country and you're definitely the, the reigning national champs, like you will have a target on your back. So you know that. You might not be giving your best every week, but whoever you're playing against will be. So Mizzou just decided to try. <laughs> and Drinkwitz actually kind of had them boys playing productively. But then you saw when Georgia actually 
realized that they were in some trouble, they decided to turn it on and ended up winning. Mm-hmm. I kind of always thought what happened. Just kind of thought it would happen like right after the second half. But yeah, like you said, they they've been unimpressive the last two weeks. But again, they were playing Kent State, so they probably weren't trying to show much. Still ended up winning by 19. But then the Mizzou game was just weird. <laughs> Honestly, just weird. I think that's the best way to say it. Yeah. Okay, so to put it like into perspective, Mizzou. I mean, we're talking about Mizzou held Georgia to four of 13 on third down, only 169 rushing yards, six field goals, forced two fumbles, which they recovered both. Georgia still maintained time of possession, 34-48 to 25-12, yet Georgia only won by four points at the very last bit of the game. That shit is crazy. I'm not saying that they're trash or anything, but – what I saw in the Missouri team is almost more surprising because their defense looked pretty solid against this Georgia offense. And I was just shocked. That might be like their last, you know, mentally they were like, all right, it's the number one team in the country. Let's put this shit out there and see what we can do. And now they're just kind of heartbroken on Mizzou's end. But that was quite an awesome game. And then, of course, as we're going into LSU week, we have – the Auburn LSU game. Uh, Alex, I know you said you took a break, but Drew, did you catch any of that one? Yeah, I was able to catch a little bit of it. Um, one of the big things that really surprised me is that, guys, LSU has no passing game at all. They threw. I'm not I'm like, and this is not. This is not a joke. This is not exaggerated. This is legitimate <laughs> statistics. They threw for five yards in the second half. Five, and they won. That's the more shocking thing was that they still won on the road against Auburn, throwing only five yards in the second half. And it wasn't like they threw a significant amount in the first. They only threw 85 yards the entire game. Like, this is not a very good football team. Uh, And one of the things that really surprised me that stuck out more than just that, though, was that they gave up 337 passing yards to Auburn's backup quarterback. Like, let that sink in for a second. Like, if we – like, even if – if, even if Hendon plays like 80% like he did against Florida, he's going to get over 400 yards. I mean, like, he's going to rip this defense to shreds. And I'm not exaggerating that. Like, that's just – that's a stone-cold fact, you know. So, <laughs> LSU, it's unbelievable this team's a top 25 team. There is no way in the slightest that this team deserves to be in the top 25. It looks great for our resume because, you know, that'll mean we'll have three top 25 wins before even ha- making the halfway mark. So that'll look great for us. But, uh, yeah, I was just shocked. And, uh, yeah, you know, if you're Auburn, you got to fire Brian Harson. I mean, that guy's that guy's toast. I mean, just absolutely terrible. I was going to say, I saw, I saw the tweets of the stats that you just said, Drew, and it's funny because, like, this whole week I've seen that – there's there's like there's only two extremes. One that LSU is going to run away with this, and we don't know how to play in Death Valley because the last time we played in Death Valley, we shot ourselves in the foot because we put like 15 people out there. Whatever <laughs> that was back in 2010 with Dooley. So there's that. But then there's the other half that said, yeah, Ashford threw for 337 yards, and Hooker's probably going to have a Heisman moment on Saturday. So I'm just kind of like sitting around waiting for this game to start because I want to see which extreme we're closer to. But it does seem like it'll be more of Hooker's day. Giving up 337 yards on any given day is not good, especially when it's Auburn, who still managed to only score 17 again for the second straight week. But 
I don't know. I just want to see the boys go out there and, and win a good road game. I know, like, Pitt was, Pitt was good, but we started too slow for my liking there. So I would love to see us jump out early and let LSU play from behind because, obviously, if they have to throw it, then they're going to be in some trouble. But So, and if we're analyzing just specifically the LSU-Auburn game, Daniels threw eight. He completed eight of 20 for 80 yards, a QB rating of 61.6. But then you look at their rushing. They had 185 yards total on the ground. I'm not concerned about that. The matchups I'm looking at is their receiving versus our secondary, which is our weak link. And against Auburn, they only put up 10 receptions, 85 yards, no touchdown catches. And Keyshawn Butte only had one reception, four yards. That's it. Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing as well, though. It's like they have, I mean, they have a lot of tremendous talent in the wide receiver room. But Keyshawn Butte has only caught 10 passes this entire year. I mean, like, they're not getting him the ball. And I don't know if that's just because there's not a click between Jaden Daniels and Butte, which, I mean, is certainly a possibility. But, I mean, you know, they have a very mediocre offensive line, and they're really reliant on Jaden Daniels on using his legs, and which, don't get me wrong, that is the one thing I'm really, like, afraid of. It's like on Saturday is like Jaden Daniels going off for, like, 150 rushing yards or something. But, I mean, if you limit him and force him to stay in the pocket, like, he's not going to – and, like, I'm probably going to jinx myself on this one, but he's not going to have an Anthony Richardson day on us because Anthony Richardson is, like, much shit as we gave him. Like, it's still a freak of an athlete and shown flashes that he could be a very good quarterback. Jaden Daniels hasn't shown that at all this year. And if you make him use your arm, like, I mean, we're going to have a field day. There's no doubt about it. But naturally, of course, since I mentioned that point, he'll probably wind up throwing 300 yards against us and get five touchdowns. So, but, um, no, I mean, I think the biggest fear for me, though, is just we got to find a way to be able to, you know, contain their run game. And our offensive line's got to step up against their front seven. LSU still has a very good defense, even despite allowing over 300 yards to their backup running back. And this is going to be a big test for our offensive line. I mean, we're going to need guys like Cooper Mays and Darnell Wright to really step it up and Jerome Carvin, too. So if they be able to stop, step that up, give Hooker some time, I mean, who knows? We might see a Heisman moment for Henning Hooker. So again, I, I don't, I really don't know what to expect from LSU just because. There was I, I seen something what was I think yesterday that was saying that they had a, a players only meeting with the QB room and the wide receiver room saying that they were they were going to figure this out and that they were disappointed in the way they've played and there's a lack of trust between QB and receiver that's why uh, Butte hasn't gotten as many receptions as we kind of predicted and apparently quoted they left that meeting with a lot more trust gained but I don't know how you can prove that going from a Monday afternoon to a Saturday mid game. So, I mean, that that's still, like, up for debate to see, like, what actually transpired. But, I mean, if your receivers if your receivers don't feel like they're being targeted enough, they're going to quit playing. And if they feel like their QB is not really supporting them, then why should they support him? So, I don't know. I, it just seems like their offense is, like, in shambles right now. And they struggle to put up 21 against Auburn, which I, I think is still kind of wild. But, um, no, I think – I still think it's, it's going to be all balls on Saturday. I don't know. I'm. Uh, we'll get to. We'll get to those predictions here in a bit. I'm still kind of struggling. We're at Wednesday, so you know I'm not really fully committed one way or the other yet. I mean, it's 
It's like our first – I mean, I know we played Missouri, but let's be real. Missouri wasn't really a road game, considering like 15,000 of them that were in the stadium were Vol fans. This is going to be like the first true proper road game experience this, this team has had this year. And, I mean, I know it's a new 11 a.m. kickoff over there, but – Guys, I mean, they're opening up the gates at 9 a.m. They're already serving beer at 9 a.m. Like they, like they, like they announced that today. So yeah, like, it's that. still gonna, it's still gonna be lit. It's still gonna be rocking. And thank God it's not a night kickoff. You know, 7:30 kickoff in Death Valley. But uh, we got, we got to start off early. We got to start off hot and get a touchdown. Those first two drives. I mean, and make them chase us because if we're the ones that are chasing, it. I mean, we might see our first loss of the season. I fully agree with that. I mean. It's just hard to get the wheels rolling when you're down by so far, you know. I mean, no, not to say we can't, though, because we started out terribly at Pitt and somehow came back and won that one. So I'm not losing all faith in them. But um, they just really have to go out and get started from the get-go. And what better way to get started than wearing these smoky gray uniforms on the road? I want y'all's take on... Is this a good move, and is it totally fine, or do y'all see this as pretty cocky to do on the road week five? Um, what do y'all think on that? I mean, I don't really think it's cocky, considering like the last time we wore them, we lost forty-two to zero to Georgia. Um, but I mean, if there's going to be a game that we're going to wear them, it this game made the most sense considering that, you know, we're going to likely wear the dark mode jerseys for Kentucky since it's Halloween weekend. You wouldn't wear the grays for UT Martin or, you know, or for Missouri. And I mean, you know, I'm, I know they've been talking about it for a while, but like, you know, wearing them back and making it a yearly thing where we wear them once a year. I don't have an issue with it. Just, just win. I mean, just, like, you know, like it's one of those things for me. It's like they could wear freaking rainbow, you know, for all I care, just win the damn ball game. So, if it makes the players have an extra pep to their step and will, you know, make them feel a little hype up and get them excited, then like I'm all for it. But uh, I mean, if we're wearing gray, wearing orange, wearing polka dots, it doesn't matter. We need to beat LSU on Saturday. So, no, I agree. I, I think uh, it, it kind of just goes back to the old adage like, look good, feel good, play good. Whatever y'all want to wear, wear it as long as you show up on game day. If you're going to make a bunch of noise about wearing something, then I, I feel like it does put a little bit more pressure on you to perform. But again, like some people perform better under pressure. So I mean, we'll see if, if if we can talk all this mess about like, oh yeah, let's go wear these like alternate uniforms in your house. Then I, we just better be ready to play. That's all I got to say, I guess. Because you can't you can't be loud like that and then not show up. That's embarrassing. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of torn. I I'm not gonna say that I don't think it's at least a little cocky because. I don't know. It's just like who wears alternates on the road in a big game like that? Not many people. However, I love it. I think it's fucking awesome. Um, I mean, Florida did it last year when they played LSU. They wore their orange. Brandon's finally here. There he is. Speaking of dark mode jerseys. It is It is an awful turn of the events here at the Brando household. Let me tell you that. I got finessed by Xfinity twice today. My internet went off came back on, went off, came back on, and now it's back off again. They can just – we can't get it together. So, I am here. That's why Comcast is terrible. Never get them on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. I was told uh, I was getting upgraded to fiber, but I would, you know, rather just, you know, be without it, you know, awful. Yeah, tell them to kick rocks. So. Disgusting. 
Now, now, don't get me wrong. If, if there's any Comcast executives listening to this, we would still love you be a sponsor for us, of course. But uh, just from my personal experience, it's not been the best. What are we on? The smoky gray jerseys? Yeah. We are. Good job. Yeah. Um, I mean, I was hype. Obviously, the rumor the last two weeks, you know, they were coming back around or whatever. But to see them, like, bring brought out on a road game, um, I know everyone was kind of, like, iffy about it. But I'm hype about it. You know, 11 a.m. kickoff. The team needs some kind of energy to go on the road, you know, now announced sold out Tiger Stadium. So I think they're going to have that, you know, energy to go out there and compete. And it's not, you know, kneeling where it's sold out. You're going in someone else's environment and you got to go get that win. So if it makes them feel better, look good, play good, all that, I'm, I'm for it. Did you just say it was sold out? Yeah, it's officially sold out in Tiger Stadium. Well, it's not because I have two tickets. If anyone fucking wants to buy them, I do not want to lose $220. Take them off my hands. I got them from Tennessee as a season ticket holder. And I paid what I paid for them, and I can't get it back. So if you need tickets, please, to God, hit me up on Twitter so I don't lose $220. I've seen you post in the Facebook pages. I've seen you post in the uh, the group text. I've seen it on Twitter. Slow once these tickets are gone. Someone help Logan these tickets gone. Low has to find a fucking house. Low has to find a house. That is my number one priority right now. You know, speak, you know what? That would be a great next topic for us to talk about. Let's talk about how ridiculous the ticket prices for the Alabama game has gotten. I mean, it's it's absolutely mind blowing. I, you know, it's like I was telling Brando. I wound up actually getting a fantastic deal for me, like for our tickets. Brando, you got something to say? Well, me, me too, you know, like we, we're looking at the secondary prices and then, you know, on Twitter, of all Twitter coming in clutch because of my like page or whatever. But like any other fan, like if you're going on Ticketmaster, Vivid Seats, you know, if you're looking to spend for lower decks, you know, $500, $600 a ticket, like crazy. It's it's insane. I mean, and I've had some people have the nerve to like message me saying they're going to sell their row 25 upper deck tickets for $400 a piece. And I'm like, I mean... Is this, I mean, honestly, and like, I'm glad that like the Vols are back, but I am not thrilled about these prices by any stretch of the imagination. So do you think like it's just getting out of hand? Do you think this is something that's going to die down? Or do you think like with all this hype around the program, which is probably the most hype Tennessee's had around the football program since Phil Fulmer, that like this is just going to be the new norm, that we're just going to have to pay $400 to go see them play? Well, let me start off. I talked about this on overtime the other night, but if you are like the common fan and you are in the area or even not in the area, the absolute best thing to do is sign up for season tickets immediately because I got, I've been a season ticket holder for five years now. And when they made all the renovations, I know a lot of people got screwed over, but I actually got a 33% decrease in my price of tickets And let me tell you, like, I have the price that I pay per ticket is absolutely nothing compared to these secondhand sites. If you are really trying to get in, you can sign up to be a season ticket holder right now and get on a payment plan for the next eight months. And it would literally be less than a car payment. And then before you know it, you have all your tickets locked in. And then you're the one who can sell them at double the value or face value or go or whatever you want to do. I think that's the option that you have to go at this point. Yeah, I think, I think the best option for a while was the vault pass. I don't know if y'all did that, but 
that was a steal because that was like 30, 40 bucks a ticket. And then you can flip those. For, I mean, if you flipped them for face value, you were still like doubling your profit on each ticket. I mean, granted, I was using most of them, but I wish I wish that was back. But I understand. But uh, no, I, that that is crazy. They came out. It was like right after we beat Florida that Monday. They were like, "Here, re up your season tickets." And I was like, "Dang, y'all, y'all get after y'all ain't wasting no yeah. time getting that money back." It was crazy. Smart business from there, and I had to respect the hustle. So, no, nah, yeah, <laughs> I remember. If even speaking of the Florida game, I was looking at like uh, fifty yard line home side, like thirty or forty rows up, like section T, I think. But somebody was selling tickets for seventeen hundred a piece, and I was like, I was like, what are y'all on? Like, I know inflation's hitting, but you ain't got to hit it like that. Like, these are your own people you're doing this to. So I was, I, I would say, like, if you are buying single game tickets, either like stay on Twitter, uh, obviously at low, but also look in like the Vol Facebook group, the the Vol for Life group, because I also got a, I got a steal on those uh, Florida tickets I got. I think I paid two fifty a piece. But again, if you buying them off of Facebook or Twitter, you can avoid those uh, the fees because that's like an extra 30, 40 bucks per ticket that you really don't even need. Yeah. So it's like if you just do that, just be careful about who you're buying from because I know some people have been getting scammed like that. But I don't know, just do your diligence and like look into it before you do it. But uh, I guess to agree with y'all, like the point of like, you know, winning and putting a product on the field that prices are going up like it was back in the day whenever Tennessee was great. You saw those prices skyrocket just to get an England experience. You know, after the Florida game, all you saw was fan bases talking about, like, I'm not a Vols fan, but that place looks so wild that, like, I have to get in there and see it. And it's not just Tennessee fans trying to get in the England Stadium now. Like, everyone wants to see one of the best environments in college football. So I guess I got to agree with Lowe. Um, you know, season tickets, buying season tickets, I saw, like, Section M where Lowe's in the end zone. They're, like, what, 600 apiece a person now? So, you know, yeah. Yeah, they're about – so what we did, like, we got such a discount. I think my total – my total was under 700 but that was me splitting – not only getting my seat, but splitting a floater seat, um, a third of the cost of a floater seat so that we could have an extra seat for whoever we wanted to bring or sell it. Um, I went in on that with my parents, and we just split it three ways. And I So that's a seat and a third of a seat under 700 bucks that's a steal yeah i looked into like getting uh for next year for me and my mom and like maybe like over like 13 or 12 to 1300 dollars but when you look at people like what they spent for you know florida or you know bama for those lower deck seats just those two games alone in the span of four weeks like they're spending both of that for two major games so like i know you know people were hesitant under the past coaches to spend that money and go ahead and that's a lot of money to spend on a product but you know with the product on the field right now it's kind of hard to like not hop on that whenever now in this present day when we're actually good again and you know you have to pay seven hundred dollars for two seats or maybe even seven hundred for a single if you don't know the right people like luckily i know me and drew lucked out i'm in p like you're what y10 and somehow we're blessed but i see people on twitter and they're saying you know 750 a piece it's like i was telling logic like i've literally seen people in my section selling tickets for $700 piece and I'm not gonna lie if this wasn't the Bama game I would be I would honestly I would be extremely tempted to sell that because I'd be tripling whatever I paid for so but it's just I mean it's exciting to know that like the demand is that high again for Tennessee football because I remember when I was in college and I would fly over here and you know try to go a game or two a year you could be able to go see them play in South Carolina for $15 in the upper deck so like it's just crazy how much has changed, like, in the last three years of, like, 
going from like literally buying a ticket on game day for like a third of face value to, you know, the cheapest ticket you find in the upper deck is almost $300 now. So, well, we got a little technical difficulties over there. Yeah, my lamp. What the hell? Oh, gosh. No, yeah, I'm not sure how much, you know, this Xfinity will hold up on my 5G as we speak. I'm looking at the router every two seconds to see if it blinked back on, but it's just, you know, not going to work. Um, I guess, have y'all discussed last week and this week? The one game we forgot to discuss, and my God, we got to do it, is Kentucky Ole Miss. Just the meltdown from Kentucky in those last five minutes was just absolutely beautiful. I mean, you know, their whole entire offense coordinator praising about how Will Levis is going to be a number one overall pick, a first-round quarterback, all this jazz, only for him to cost two costly fumbles to lose the game, probably their first, potentially, or Mark Stoops' first ever win on the road against an SEC West team, and he absolutely blew it. So you can't you can't beat it. It's just absolutely gorgeous seeing Kentucky blow it in the game that they had in the bag. So love to hear your thoughts on uh, Kentucky shit in the bed, as always. Yeah, I mean, that was – I don't know. I've – I absolutely fucking hate Lane Kiffin. I don't know why everyone likes him. So I was really torn in that game. I don't like the coal miners either. But at least Ole Miss embarrassed themselves with their god-awful striping of the stadium that looked like a rotten piece of candy, Halloween candy wrapper. Like, I don't know what the fuck that was. Um, Chewed up piece of gum. I don't know. Looked disgusting. But it was pretty hysterical. Will Levis just totally screwed the pooch on that, like, bad. That was such a funny thing to watch. Like, Hennon Hooker doesn't even get any credit at all for what he's done. But this Will Levis dude is, like, God himself. So I just thought that was hilarious. It's also kind of tough that uh, he got – what was it? He got hit in, like, the second quarter, I think. And then he got up and he looked like he was throwing up gang signs with the way his pinky was facing or something like that. Yeah, that it was pretty gross crazy. to hell. <laughs> but no, yeah, it was. I, I was sitting there watching it on my phone because uh, I was grocery shopping. <laughs> but I seen, I seen Kentucky. They threw a touchdown pass at the end, and I was like, "Dad, gummy." They came back. They won this. Like, I don't, I don't need any proof that Kentucky is even like relevant. So anytime they do something like this, it just like pisses <laughs> you off. But then they threw a flag. They got what the like a holding, I think, or something like that. So they had to run it back. And then here go Levis, yeah, doing his best, fumbling it, losing the game, and then going and crying on the sidelines. I think Bandit sent some kind of tweet. It was like a tradition like no other Levis crying on the side during an SEC game. But, I mean, yeah, it, it sucks when you see somebody like Lane Kiffin have success because the way he burned us. But I don't think anything beats seeing Kentucky fans sad. <laughs> like, especially, especially in football when they try to act all high and mighty because they got ranked in the top ten for once, like, ever. But – no, yeah, seeing them lose, seeing them crumble, they still the same old Kentucky that they have been. I mean, that's the thing, dude. It's just something gorgeous about knowing that all those coal miners spent their hard-earned money traveling all the way to Mississippi <laughs> just for them to take a big fat L. I mean, it's absolutely beautiful. Like, and not to mention, like what Lowe said with like their striping of the stadium that Ole Miss had, it looked like something like where like you bought Checker Nealon on Etsy.com and then like that was like the final product that you got. I mean, Oh, yeah. I mean, it was just absolutely terrible. I mean, like, you notice that all those programs after, like, Checker Neal and, like, like, you know, Ole Miss, Auburn, they try to do their exact same thing. It's just 
it's just great. I mean, you know, there's something good happening when everyone's trying to copy us. So, yeah, I mean, that's like a that's like a top twenty game, and they were like, it was right after we did it, and obviously we we did what we did, but then they try it and they're like, oh yeah, let's let's just replicate that, and then it looked like male pattern baldness out there. Like, I mean, there was just patches everywhere. Like, I didn't even know what was going on. I was like, you you can't even show up for a for the number seven team in the country coming to play at your place. Like, that's kind of well, wild, but I mean. I don't know. Go ahead, Brando. Sorry. I had that, that's what I thought was crazy about the whole week, you know, Kiffin, you know, trying to get people there. You know, it, it was an early kickoff, you know, 11 a.m. I get that. But just trying to get people in the stands, you know, Ole Miss, their schedule, they've kind of had a quiet schedule. Um, it was crazy to see, like, how they would kind of match up against an SEC opponent and how brave the about Kentucky's defense has always been the, like, last few years. Wow. But I feel like gameplay-wise, um, Ole Miss, their running game, that's scary. Like, Zach Evans and Ulysses Grant, like, those two pretty much won the game wasn't too impressed with uh, Jackson Dart, in my opinion. I feel like he fits the system. He's learned the system, but he's not like a guy like Matt Corral last year that's going to take him to the next level. And then Kentucky, Will Levis, I feel like he kind of sold to the game, like their offensive game plan. I just – it fell through, man, like late there in the game. I, I, it was like the one game I got to watch last week right before work, and just to see Kentucky like fall flat on their face, travel to uh, Ole Miss in Mississippi, probably hot as can be uh, – and then the whole checkerboard thing, it looked like there was, like, honestly more Kentucky fans there than Ole Miss on one side. It was just weird. Like, I've never seen a striped stadium be broken just because maybe we're so good at it and, you know, checker kneeling can't be affected or can't be beat. But to see someone else do it, like you said, like it was a make-a-wish failure. It was just crazy to see. And I know you all probably touched on the other games, but, like, it wasn't just Ole Miss and Kentucky falling flat in their face. Like, we saw it all across the conference. Like, it was crazy to see, like, teams that you thought would go in there and just be elite struggle when like you know they had to face adversity and i thought that was crazy you know not to look forward to you know the next few weeks later in the season we got to take care of lsu but these teams man like no one's that that number one team right now in the nation in my opinion the sec i mean and that's the thing for me it's like after watching you know not just kentucky Ole miss and you know georgia missouri but like alabama arkansas every game's winnable guys like like, the only game where I still think is probably, like, a solidified loss is, like, just Georgia on the road. And that's just because it's in Athens and we never have any luck over there, you know, with the refs, of course. And it's always a tough environment to play. But, like, guys, I mean, like, from a talent perspective, I mean, like, Alabama, like, as I never thought in a million years I'd ever say this, but, like, Alabama might be a win- – we might win that game. Like, like if we – if we start off hot and catch them at the right time, and I know you, you have never thought in a million years I would say that three months ago especially, but here we are. Times have changed, so get used to it. Um, that's a Wimble game. Kentucky, we're whipping their ass. I mean, you know, and they can, you know, sing back, you know, to the Bluegrass State, you know, with their, you know, probably freaking horses, you know, carriage and all that shit going back up to Lexington. And South Carolina's hot garbage. They're terrible. I mean, Shane Beamer, that goofball, he ain't beat But they got Spencer Rattler. He's trash, dude. He's, he's like Nathan Peterman. He's awful. He's, he's, he's listen, the most overrated listen. quarterback I have ever oh, seen. Man. We take care of business. Like this past offseason. If we take care of business against Jaden Daniels this week, we're going to take care of business later down the line. And I know we keep you know looking ahead after I just said not to look ahead. But looking ahead to the Bama week, you know, announced today, Rick Barnes, the open practice. Obviously, this fire tailgate on G5, like, the energy's already going to be crazy if you walk into that game, Hawaii 5-0. and And then on top of that, you got, you know, the energy at 1130 from Rick Barnes and the boys. Like, I just, you know, it's setting up to be, um, obviously, we have to go take care of an away environment, you know, this week. But, you know, 
just the the path ahead, man. Like, how long has it been since you honestly saw like a path ahead for Tennessee to actually, you know, go ten and two and make it to like the Sugar Bowl and you're two under a coach? Like, it's just crazy to think about. I would say genuinely the last time where I've had felt like we had a shot going ten and two was twenty sixteen. Yeah, like I like that was probably our best offer. And hell, we didn't even have to go ten and two to make the Sugar Bowl that year. We just had to beat fucking Vanderbilt. That's it. We couldn't even yeah. do that. Like so. That's still crazy. That's still blows I mean, mind. like, seriously, like, and probably outside of that, maybe 2006, 2007. But, like, this is, I mean, this is the best Tennessee team in, I mean, easily in 15 years. I mean, easily since we made, you know, SEC championship in 07. So, sky's the limit for this team. I'd Like, every game's winnable. And, like, we're going to lose a couple games. I mean, you know, we're not, we're not Alabama or Georgia yet, but – Man, I mean, I've never, I've never felt this type of energy though, like in Knoxville, like ever in my lifetime. The, the difference is this is not like well, I've said this so many times, but it is so accurate that it's not just some weird fake jump on the bandwagon. Oh, we're four and oh, oh my god, like twenty sixteen was. This is legitimate. They have played two very legitimate teams, one on the road. And they're about to head to LSU four and zero and have a very strong um, chance at winning that game. And then when you look at Bama and Georgia, they've both already had shaky games. Did they lose them? No, but they they have exposed some weaknesses in areas that I never thought we would see. I mean, I was like, oh my god, Georgia is the best team in the country by a mile when this whole thing first started, and now. They have steadily kind of declined with every game they play. Will they pick it back up? I, I don't know. I mean, probably. But it's just crazy to see that not only do we know that we are a legitimate team and we have played good teams, but also we have already faced adversity, Came already had an overtime on the road and won that. Like there is a lot that this team can do and has been through already. Um, now what I do think is interesting leading into the LSU game is ESPN FPI only gives Tennessee a 41.7 chance to win yet we are favored by three. So what do y'all think about that? Does anyone even look into that? What do you guys? When I, when I first saw it, you know, obviously I know that with ESPN FPI, it always plays in a factor of like where you're playing. Obviously one of the top five stadiums in the country is Tiger stadium respectfully. Um, you know, what's going to happen. They're coming off four and one after, you know, Florida State. I think they haven't, you know, allowed like a second half point or maybe like very few. Their defense has been absolutely insane. Um, you know, offensive passing identity, it's not there. We saw that against Auburn in the second half last week. But defensively, that's what's been winning them games and keeping them alive. And, uh, you know, I don't read too much into it. You know, obviously everyone trusts Vegas, but for Vegas to see it less than, a, you know, a field goal difference that's saying a lot about what this is going to be there's that tale that if you're the home team you get a, a three-point favorite or whatever so maybe the spread's really you know minus five Tennessee um, I think it's going to start with offense you know the second half stat I just mentioned it's going to have to be that offense getting you know hot early but to, you know see that like I just I just think that we're so hot right now and to the beginning of the year this was my toss-up game I didn't know if Tennessee you know going into this game if I actually would have them beating LSU in the preseason at Skybox, I gave it to us. But now I'm like kind of confident that if we get started early, um, I just don't think what LSU's done to the team's second half this year, they're going to be able to do to this kind of offense. And maybe I'm wrong. They stopped Mississippi State really well. But I feel like off of bye week, all the wrinkles, you know, getting everyone healthy, 
is Cedric Tillman going to be out there? We don't know. There's a lot of possibilities, and I just I can't buy into that number when there's a lot of question marks around us and LSU right now. Yeah, I mean, like the FBI index that ESPN uses takes like a lot of context, basically just like you know the overall record between two teams facing one another, the home field advantage aspects, and also like the recruiting rankings between one team and the other. And I mean, in that sense, like. You know, even as bad as LSU is this year, it's still one of the top five toughest places to play in America. There's no doubt about that. From a talent perspective, like recruiting wise, they I mean, I I mean there's you can't deny it, they have more talent than we do. Now, they're not as coached as well, in my opinion, as they do, but they also do have Brian Kelly, who also again is probably one of the most respected and one of the best head coaches in college football in the last year. So when you take in a lot of it, a lot of those, you know, you know, think about it. It makes sense, but like Vegas, Vegas knows what they're talking about for a reason. That's why no one ever always wins big time money against Vegas. Like, there's a reason why we're three point favorites, you know, and there's there's a reason why a lot of people have picked Tennessee to win this game because we got a high powered offense. Like nobody can stop us, nobody will stop us, and there's not anything they can do about it. And LSU doesn't have a very good offense, and they have a terrible quarterback, so. There's a lot of things that go into it. I don't really care what ESPN says. I mean, they also have, like, their FBI rankings, and somehow because we didn't play a game last weekend, LSU's ranked higher than us somehow. So their, their, mark, their like, metric system makes zero sense at all. So I'm not worried about it. Just get the job done Saturday, and that's all that matters. No, I agree. I think, I think it's kind of ridiculous. Uh, but, again, like you all have said, just – that's why you play the game. Like if they were favored to win and we didn't play the game, then that'd be whatever. But no, I think, I think on paper we are a better team. And I mean, LSU is LSU. They will always have a stout defense with stud secondaries and, and stud safeties and stuff like that. But I mean, the the thing that you were saying about the second half points and, and stuff drew um, or Brando, I forget who it was. They, their last, their most competitive game in terms of offense was Mississippi state. Granted they did hold Mississippi state to 16 points. But they've played Auburn, New Mexico, the juggernaut of Southern, and Florida State. And we saw how they ended up against Florida State. And I think Florida State is also stinky. So, I mean, I think we are their first test, um, like, as a complete team. They, again, like I said, they did handle Mississippi State. But I think this will tell a lot about us as much as it will them. So, it'll be interesting to see. I do think the three-point favorites for us makes a lot more sense than us having a 40% chance to win. But again, this was also my toss-up game. I thought this was like more of a 50-50 game than anything. Um, if it was played in Neyland, I would be a lot more comfortable. But like y'all said, playing in Baton Rouge at any point in time is incredibly tough. Good thing that we get them at 11 a.m. before lunch. So hopefully they just think about what they get to eat after the game. But it'll be a tough one. Well, well did you see the announcement? Just, sorry. Did you see the announcement that they said they're going to have beer on sale at 9 a.m.? At 9 a.m.? Yeah, that's yeah. crazy. I was telling them that. I mean, it, like, don't get me wrong. Like, you know, it's not going to be the same atmosphere as it would be for, for a 2.30 kickoff or 6.30 over there for a night game. But, like, it's still sold out Tiger Stadium, man. Like, it's still going to be rowdy. But uh, that's why, like, it's really, really huge. Like, in those first two or three drives, we either at least get a touchdown, get some points on the board, and try to shut this thing out early. Yeah, I mean, what I predict, I think it's still going to start out super rowdy. They'll probably either stay up all night drinking or get up at like 5 a.m. and start. But then by halftime, they'll be hot and tired and kind of die down, especially when the balls are up by 10 points. Um, but I did want to go back, if y'all remember, and look at when we 
predicted the whole season from start to finish. So this was my first loss of the season. I had us going 4-0 um, into Baton Rouge. And then I predicted, and it makes me sick to think about this because it's a three-point spread. And I predicted a super close game and that we go into overtime and Tennessee loses 38-35. Do y'all remember yours? Um, I've got I've got them right here. We've got low at mine, Alex. 38-35 loss. Brando at a 34-24 win. Drew at a 38-30 win. And I had a 28-24 loss. See, so we're all, we're all hanging around. 30-30, as I was thinking about today, I still wrote down my prediction and still wound up being 38-30. So I'm glad I'm being consistent. So that is Were good. You no, no, I, I picked okay. I was back in August that we were winning this game. Florida was good. You, you must admit, okay. must admit when they have that onside kick that all three of you are probably like, "Oh my god!" Hey man, <laughs> we didn't even talk about that onside kick. That that they played that so perfect. He caught it in stride. I was like, "I'm really finna have to run out here and tackle myself." <laughs> I was so scared. It was because uh, uh, for my for my first of the year predictions on that Florida game, I said 34-24 Tennessee wins, but then on overtime. I said, um, what was it, 38-27 or something? And it was that way for so freaking long. And I was like, oh, my God, did I really call it to a T? But I did, and it got even closer than that. I think we've only had, like, uh, two perfect scores, and I think it was you and Brando for – Yeah, for accurate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think this this game, like – I, I can see like a three point victory, like my early prediction. I think this is going to be like a 34 to like 31, 34, 30. Um, I could definitely see it going in the overtime, like Lowe said, but you know, as it increases more and more, like this, the lines, I just think that we edge this one out somehow. Like Pitt, I definitely, you know, we saw our defense come alive late. Um, I'm interested to hear y'all, like what, what y'all pass the victory is, you know, how Tennessee gets this done. I think it comes with our pressure and, you know, getting to Jaden Daniels, obviously it's going to be tough to see him throw. AR was able to do it to us two weeks ago and we thought he couldn't throw the football. So not really like what we have at the DB room, obviously Warren Burrell being out for the season. Um, what's how that's going to manage for Jaden Daniels. But I saw a stat today, according to SEC Network, that we have the fifth best pressure rate in the uh, in the nation, not just the SEC, but the nation. And, you know, getting to a quarterback like that of Jaden Daniels, obviously LSU's uh, left guard, Coming back, you know, one week after a broken hand surgery, uh, they lost seven banks last week on their defense. It was a transfer in their defensive backfield. Um, I think, you know, offensively and defensively, I think getting the pressure on Jaden Daniels and not even giving their offense a chance uh, to get that run game going is going to be huge. Because if you can stop his run game, then you can cr uh, crack down on the, their running backs, which are really still in the show right now. Um, it'll be interesting to see this Kayshawn Butte and Jaden Daniels finally get that touch. But that's going to be my path to victory is, you know, shutting down their offense. I know our offense is going to score points, but can we shut down their run game that, you know, got them back in the game against Auburn? Yeah, I mean, I would have to I'd have to agree with most of those. My main things is that the offensive line's got to be able to stop LSU's front seven. Got to buy some protection for Hen Hooker. I've made some couple bold predictions, which I don't know, probably most of y'all are going to disagree with, but I don't care. I'm still going to say them anyway. So – Bold prediction number one, Hayden Hooker's going to throw his first interception of the season on Saturday. I think it'll probably be at some point in the second quarter. 
he's going to, there's just going to be a miscommunication with, you know, just with the crowd noise and everything like that. It will get them fired up, but they'll only wind up getting three points out of it. Bryce Young is going to record multiple sacks. I have no faith in LSU's offensive line and with the quarterback as well, thus being fifth in the nation. Cam and Tyler Barron are going to have a day with those edges. And I think Joshua Josephs and Tyree West are going to have a couple, you know, record a couple sacks as well. Um, but I still think 38-30, and I still think this is a game, even if Hooker throwing an interception, he's still going to wind up having over 400 yards total offense. Still believe that. So, so Drew, you're telling me that Bryce Young is going to come in and get multiple sacks? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I Alabama's know. starting quarterback. <laughs> Byron. God damn it. Byron Young. Yeah. No, <laughs> I mean, that would be pretty if he did. He would definitely be, be a number one. That'd be tough. Yeah. Byron, Young, yeah. Byron Young will get multiple sacks. I believe that. Tyler Barron will record a sack too. And I think there's going to be at least anywhere between eight to ten tackle for losses in this game. I, like I, I just have zero faith in their offensive line, especially when one of their guys is a graduate transfer from East Tennessee State. So you know he's not that good. So uh, I mean there is. There's no excuse for his defense, at least the front seven, to like you know play lights out. Like there, just isn't. I mean, it's compared compared to the other offensive lines that we're going to face this year. This is a game where we have to get at least two or three sacks. Okay, so here's so here's the difference for me in this game between like super close and uh and like me saying Vols will win by ten. If our defense comes out hot from literally the blow of the whistle and doesn't let up, we have the potential to absolutely wreck LSU. I'm talking applying pressure from the start constantly, just annihilating the shit out of Daniels. If we start doing that from the first quarter, there's no telling how this game could go. However... I I like your prediction there, Drew. Hendon Hooker is not going to be perfect forever. Um, I wish he could be, but he can't. It's impossible. So I could definitely see some miscommunication, especially with some of the miscommunication or um, I guess they weren't quite on the ball with some of his throws in previous games. So I can see that happening. But really – as long as we get to Daniels, I don't think LSU is really going to score much on us at all. All we have to do is just score more points. I mean, that's really all there is to it. And I think we can certainly do that. Now, I think we're going to have to be a lot better um, on the receiving end because I think they'll stop us a lot rushing. You know, I don't think that we'll get a lot of rushing out of them but because um, they've got a pretty solid front there. So I really do think that we're just going to have to make sure that we make our passes and run our routes correctly, and that's pretty much all I think we have to do as long as our defense applies pressure to the quarterback. Yeah, I kind of I kind of see this game going the way that the pit game went, where we kind of discombobulated. Ah, hold on, don't you make the face, Drew. Where, where we discombobulated them a little bit just because we got after the quarterback so much. Like I think it, we were pretty effective at taking Slovis out of the game, not that he was like <clears> – <throat> really like the biggest factor, but we obviously saw a drop in production when Slovis went out and nice old Patty came in. So, I mean, I think that's, that's a huge uh, part of this game. So yeah, it does fall on our D line to get pressure, but also, like you said, getting, getting to Daniels is one thing, 
but getting him down is another thing. So I think it's also going to be a, a very important day for our linebacker, uh, our linebackers to make sure that if he does get out of the pocket, which he doesn't stay in there very long, he, he will tuck it and run as soon as he feels pressure that we contain it and make the tackle because we have a longstanding history of mobile quarterbacks affecting us. I mean, we saw it multiple times last year and we saw it a little bit in the Florida game, but as long as we can contain him from running, because that, that's the way that he'll beat us. I'm not worried about him throwing the ball, but as long as we can keep him contained, then, I mean, we should be fine and low. Like you said, we don't really have a problem putting up points. And even against like stout defenses, I still see us scoring at least 35, even 31, something like that. And I think that's enough to be LSU. Oh, yeah. It's like what, uh, you know, one of our listeners, Larry, said, he put in the comments section, you know, this isn't like, you know, the past – LSU teams from the last 10 years like yeah I mean they still have they still have talent but they've also lost a lot and they really struggle from you know depth perspective especially the offensive line defense line so my biggest thing though is that you know guys I never thought I would say this but like losing Warren Burrell is like actually like a huge loss for us because we have no one in the secondary uh, I know D Williams is coming back he was clear to go I uh, believe I think Heifel said that either today or yesterday, but he's yeah. in here and he's back playing, which is huge for us because we need all the help that we can get. Obviously, yeah, he's one of the best guys in camp. But um, you know, I think it's just one of those things. If we force Jaden Daniels to throw the deep ball, because you know he's only six for eighteen, throwing you know twenty yards or more. If we force him to throw like you know a ball down the field, I think we have an excellent chance to win this game and you know win it easily. Um, but if they're able to get in a groove, you know, throwing a couple slants and getting those five, ten yards every other play, and you know, Jane Daniels scrambling out of the pocket, that's where they might make it a little bit of more of a game. But like the outcome that I see, regardless, is like I think it's either going to be a balls blowout, like what you said, low at the out of the gate, like our defense is just relentless for the first forty-five minutes, or kind of like even like how Kentucky was last year, where we just outscore them. Like, you know, even if our defense has been playing the absolute best, we just have too much firepower yeah, on the offense. So, I think it'll be it'll be a good game on Saturday, and it'll be our first win in Tiger Stadium since 2005, as hard as that sounds to believe. Wow. So, big, big game on Saturday, and, I mean, it'll just make even next Saturday even crazier than it's already going to be, so – well, bringing up bringing up Warren Burrell being out, um, one of our listeners was asking earlier in the show, kind of at the very beginning, but I knew we'd get to it in so, at some point. They were asking about Sed, uh, kind of wanting to know like an injury update on him and kind of what we thought about when he would be back. Um, do we want to go ahead and get into that a little yeah. bit? Well, actually, there was just an update. Josh Hype was currently doing the ball calls, and he said that today at practice, like yesterday, he finally got back out there the last two days. Today, he finally was moving around in drills and in formation. So, if you know, like, we're going to get surgery itself. Um, for a wide receiver compared to, you know, everyone comparing it to Tua, it's completely different being able to go out there, run 15, 20 yards every play, cut on your feet like a wide receiver can at Cedric Tillman's caliber. Um, uh -oh. Chancey plays 51% chance he doesn't. Well, are we good? I don't know. Maybe well, it's the glitch in the Matrix, Brandon. Uh, no, it's him, baby. Just keep <laughs> going. Push through, baby. Okay. Well, I mean, I think I think there's, you know, like, oh, maybe, like, it's like a 49, 51% chance he plays, man. Um, I just, I you know. I wouldn't risk it. I wouldn't I risk know. it. Um, Brandon, 
I wouldn't risk it just like I wouldn't risk this Wi-Fi you have effects change right now. But. <laughs> it's not even connected. Yeah, it's pretty bad right now. Actually, it's literally coming back as we speak. You just said that, and your voodoo just reversed my router to sync in. Literally, Brando, it's so bizarre that your fan is switching directions that it's turning. <laughs> <laughs> it's going oh, forward no. and backwards just for the hell of it. Like I said, glitch in the matrix. Yeah. Okay, but I'm, my laptop's about to load in 30 seconds, so this is perfect. Um, I don't know. I think Cedric, you know, if he can play at his, you know, highest potential, let him play. If not... I just, you know, don't let him play the whole game, right? Don't let him play the whole game. That's what I'm saying. Like, in my defense of him playing, I don't want him to go into Bama next week and, you know, all of us, you know, get hyped up that we actually have a shot and Cedric Tillman, you know, not be able to go to his full potential because he's just not getting his feet wet against elite DBs for Alabama. You know, LSU, their DBU respectfully in their history too, that's going to be a completely different matchup for him to play this week. But, like, I would rather him if he can get back into it. I think we can win without him. We saw what Florida, you know, against Florida, what Ramel Keaton, Jalen Hyatt, and Rue McCoy did. Like, we definitely saw that. But I think, you know, with LSU's defensive ends, with their run defense, the passing game is going to have to be another last week game for Hendon Hooker where he solidifies this Heisman Hooker campaign right now. And that's, you know, to get the ball out to his receivers. Is Rue McCoy going to, you know, step up? You know, last week he had that huge chunk play where the receiver just didn't see him, you know. We got to see him actually go out there, in my opinion, and you know, take over a DB physically. So I just, I just think in my like, you know, how does the receivers come out if Cedric Tillman can't go 100? percent Is my opinion. Sorry, I'm just laughing at Drew's expression. Drew's making so many faces. <laughs> it's so bad. Uh, you're right, Brand. Uh, no, I mean, I would, you know, honestly, I just would not take that risk if even if he's physically still good to go for Saturday, just because that what we saw from two weeks ago against Florida is that. I mean, you know, not not to say that, like, you know, Tillman wasn't missed because he was, but, like, the offense didn't really skip a beat at all, like, with him not being there. I mean, like, you had a lot of guys that stepped up with, like, especially Jalen Hyatt and Ramil Keaton. And I just think with the depth that we have in the wide, wide receiver position, that is the one position that we can afford to lose one of our starters, as opposed to, like, our offensive line or running back especially. But, like – I would rather save him up for Alabama just know that just because they have a much more ruthless defense. And the last thing you want is like him not to be a hundred percent against Alabama and then re-injure and then be done for the year. So I'd rather take our chances. I still think Brew McCoy and Jalen would be able to step up on Saturday for us and play big time. But um, yeah. Brando. Hey, there he is back in the top corner, baby. <laughs> he back in the top corner. Let's go. <laughs> But no, I, I agree. I think uh, I well. Another thing you got to think about is like now that that is a multi-million dollar ankle because that man's definitely going to be playing on Sundays in a few in a few months. So I mean, if if he's smart about it, I would sit out too. And everything that I saw, like the recovery from the surgery, you're not 100 percent until about three or four weeks out. And I mean, he just hit week two, and usually about week two is about the time that you start running and cutting again. And like Brando also said. How do you expect to run a 10, 15 yard dig if you can't plan on that ankle? You know, I mean, right. he could, he could, and he could, he could like push through it. But I mean, at that point, are you just going to keep delaying your full recovery and then you just limp through the rest of the season, no pun intended? Or do you just like sit one game out, let your receiver core keep developing like they have and show that they could show up in big games like they did against Florida and then just keep doing what you're doing? 
Look, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say, I mean, if we, if we drop one, like, like we've all said, this is a, like more of a 50, 50 game than the other ones. And I think there are more important games down the line than this one. Granted. I mean, I want them all. We all do. But I think the back half of the season is more important than just this one game right now. So I think here's, long -term. here's the thing for me. So this game is kind of like dessert, right? I mean, who would have ever thought that we would, I mean, truthfully, I know that we have all thought this, but at the beginning of the season that we are all sitting here, like we have a legitimate chance to win this game and it has nothing to do with what our best receiver being out. And it would be different if it was like Hendon Hooker who had the surgery and it's like, Oh shit. Like this is a huge game that we might drop. But I think in both his best interest and the team's best interest, we have to learn to play without some of our key guys. And we already have, he also needs to protect himself. You saw in the NFL with Tua and all of that shit going on. The last thing you want to do is ruin your potential moving forward. And Cedric Tillman has it all. There is no reason that he should trot out on the field this weekend. In my opinion, um, he can cut and do whatever else on the sidelines act like he's going to go in. I just, I don't see any reason risking it whatsoever. Um, I don't think we need him for this game. And I think that people just need to calm down. We do not need him to win this game at all. We can yeah. certainly win it without him. Like so, I have no doubt about that. The rebuttal on my take was exactly what you were talking about with Tua. Like obviously you're seeing what happened to him when he had the surgery and now what's happening to him now getting rushed back. You're seeing it with, you know, the Patriots being precautious with Mac Jones right now after what happened to him with his leg injury. Uh, I think, you know, Cedric Tillman, the article came out today with the, you know, pre-draft mock thing. He's a top 30 pick for next year. And you look at that in Tennessee, and you've talked about recruiting, getting elite talent here, that first-round talent, second-round talent, putting it into the league to show kids that you can actually develop is going to be huge. And, you know, that starts right there. If you play him, you know, play him early, like I said, you do yeah. risk that. Um, you definitely risk that. You want, you know, the best for Cedric Tillman to have a first-round draft pick wide receiver in Tennessee. You know, it hasn't happened in I don't know how long. So that would be, you know, huge for Cedric. You want to do the best for him after all he's given to you. But if he can go and, like, you know, do whatever, I obviously want to see him for Bama. But, like, let's not forget what, you know, Cedric Tillman has done against top talent, you know, against Ole Miss game, against ranked opponents. I think Cedric Tillman, like, averages 150, you know, yards, two touchdowns or whatever. So, you know, if you can get that playmaking ability and Cedric Tillman wants to play and he's able to play and he knows he can play, let him go out there and, you know, get a drive or two. But we saw last week what Ramel King could do with that catch. We saw him burn his step up. You know, it was identical. Hypo and Goal was talking about we didn't have to change a single thing that we would have done if Cedric Tillman was in there. That's a huge compliment to a guy like Ramel Keaton who's been fighting his way just to get on the field. Um, obviously, you have Jalen Hyatt who can, you know, go across the middle. Brew McCoy, you know, last week proved himself finally getting into the end zone. I think that's going to get a big, you know, part off of him to go out there and be at his full, you know, level. I think he has a lot of football he can play, and we're just scratching the surface with him. So, I definitely think that our wide receiver core, you saw it with, you know, Walker, Maryland, Squirrel getting involved too. Like there's still guys that don't even see the field. Like, you know, guys that were part of the rotation a year ago that haven't even seen the field like that this year. So I definitely think it might be wild, you know, hopefully, you know, everyone's locked in. But if Hooking can get the ball the first few drives and not overthrow like we did to hide across the middle against Pitt, you go out there and get some points on the boards. And I promise you those raging Cajuns, they're going to be quiet by halftime. So 
you just got to go out there and, you know, prove that not only with Cedric Tillman, but in general, this is the best offense in the country. That's a good point, too, because, I mean, like you said, we didn't have our lead receiver, but you couldn't tell by the way that Hooker played, you know. I mean, he went 22 for 28 and threw over 300 yards. So, I mean, like the QB production still there. So, I mean, that's really important, too. So, it's not like – I mean, as long as our leader's fine, then, like, the rest of the team's fine. You know, I think that's the biggest thing. So, I fully agree with all of that. And we are at our hour mark. So, for the sake of our punishment, we can't change our predictions. But for the sake of our weekly predictions live, we can change them if we want to. doesn't affect if you have to do the punishment at the end of the season or not. But let's go around and get everyone's final score predictions for this weekend versus LSU. I will say I don't think we're getting Brando's because he's frozen. He's frozen. <laughs> oh, and he's gone. <laughs> and poor Brando like, took so many L's today on tonight's show. I mean, I feel with his hate towards Xfinity. I mean, they are – I mean, they're just the absolute. They're bad. They're bad. I would never use them. Uh, <laughs> he just sent a text to the group chat. <laughs> uh, man, poor Brando taking L's. All right, Drew, start us off. Uh, I mean, I think I think LSU is going to be able to score some points on us just because I still don't really have very much confidence in our secondary. Um, I think we will get a couple – turnovers in there and I do think Hooker is going to really turn the ball over which is so relieving to say considering four games in that like he still hasn't really turned it over either fumble or intercept but uh, I think Falls win 38-30 Okay I think I sent out a tweet earlier today so I'm going to stand by I, I don't know how I felt about it I think I just kind of got a little bit excited and just fired it off but I said 35-24 um I think if if said was 100% playing, I would trust that a little bit more. But I still think we find a way. And, and like you said, I don't think LSU's offense can keep up with ours, even if their defense is pretty solid. So I'm going to stick at 35-24. All right. I've had some some trouble trying to figure this out. But um, I think I'm going to go uh, – I'm going to go 30-31. Yeah, 31-24 balls. Okay, I thought you were saying, like, 30-31. Like, that's the score. I was like, hold on. (laughs) I'm trying to gauge how I'm feeling because, you know, it goes Monday and then Wednesday, and then I'm, like, posting after that Thursday, Friday. I'd be pretty fired up if our defense only gave up 24 points. So, I I, I yeah, I, I I just don't have confidence in it. That's it. So I got more enough confidence on my on the offense, but uh, secondary's got to prove themselves, and this is a good game to prove themselves and get you know try to get some momentum towards their way heading into you know the deep part of the schedule. So I like it. And, uh, Brando via group text has submitted his score: thirty-eight, thirty-four balls. Like That's it. high scoring. That's high scoring. We'll see. Balls on top. That's all that matters. Balls on top I don't for care. the one to zero. Yeah, to zero have to be. literally like, yeah, a safety two to zero. Balls win. I don't care. Whatever it is, balls win. Um, yeah, we're done for the week. Everyone's excited. Hopefully, we'll be back next week for Bama with some special guests that we are trying to plan, and hopefully, we're sitting at five and zero. Oh. So. I guess that's all for us. Good night. Go Vols.
The Vols. The Vols, baby.